Thanks for joining us today on the Port City Church Podcast. With multiple campuses existing within Southeastern North Carolina, our mission is to be helpful and hopeful as we reach people and help them walk with God. To learn more about the heart behind our church, we encourage you to visit us at portcity.church. Hello, everybody. How are we doing? It's been a great, great day uh, already, and we get to... um, I know we've been celebrating baptisms in Leland, got a lot of folks joining us online in Newburn, and so we just appreciate uh, everybody uh, and the opportunity we have to be together. And we're wrapping up the series called Enough is Enough. I hope that it has uh, been helpful, and I appreciate all the feedback um, that I have uh, received. And, uh, I'm, uh, and anyway, I, I love the fact that people are assessing themselves uh, and their friends as perfectionists, which is always fun. Um, but what I want to do today is I want to turn a corner, and I, I want to tell you, I want to challenge you, I want to ask you some questions that you're going to just have to decide to choose whether or not you will uh, process them and uh, how we go about or how you go about uh, really uh, instead of just sort of succumbing and saying, this is the way that I am, but to actually be able to will, be willing to engage or to embrace the possibility of real change so that you break some of the patterns that have been harming you and more than likely harming uh, people around you. So that's what we're going to be doing um, today as we wrap the series up. We've been celebrating today. Obviously, we get to celebrate our interns, get to celebrate with the Gasparovics. And also uh, today, and I can do this just because um, I can, but I'm also celebrating something uh, that's very important to me. Today is my wife's birthday. She's right over there. And happy birthday, Julie. She loves her birthday. Uh, we started, like, we usually get birthday month. It starts May 1st, but it started last Monday. We started celebrating birthdays. I don't know how long this is going to last uh, for me. And um, so she's, uh, we, we, we decided um, it's 50, 50 fun. That's how old she is. She's 50 fun. So we're going to uh, be celebrating, and um, we'll continue. She doesn't like me working on her birthday either, so you ought to bear with me today. Um, it's been a good day. So... Um, but I, wanna, I want you to think about something because when, when, you know, at some point, what a lot of us have to consider is what is it that God is really doing in you? What does he want to do in you? What do you see him doing in you? What do you want him to do in you? And for most of us, our default is just things like we want to be better or we want to do better. We want to achieve more. We want to do our jobs well. We want to contribute well to the world. And these are all good things. But what God is doing, God is, and especially when we look around our country, we look around the world, and we get so consumed with the headlines, all the things that are happening, we sort of think that what God is supposed to be up to is solving all of our cultural problems, and that's not what God is up to. What God is up to is He is building a people. He is calling people to Himself, you and I, to consider what we're going to do. And what I want you to consider today is not what's happening in the world, not what other people do. I want to consider what you are willing to do about where you are to think personal, to think local. We've been talking about this. And I want you to consider perhaps what it would mean for you to enter into or to continue in or to re-engage in a really radically new way of life, to learn to operate differently than what you have operated. And one of the things that we heard earlier, uh, one of our baptisms we did earlier, um, these the stories she's talked about, there were things of judgment, uh, judgmentalism and sort of harshness to other people. She said that it found a home in her heart and her soul. I think a lot of us can read there are a lot of default things that have sort of found a home in our lives. And what we've got to decide is what are we going to do to allow 
the Holy Spirit to allow the work that God wants to do to actually form us and to shape us so that we continue to be a part of his people who are in this world to bring about the promise of redemption. We're going to talk more about this over the next few weeks as we start a new series um, next week. But I want you to consider that the formative process that God wants to do in you, that he's already begun in you if you are his follower. The formative process isn't about you performing better. It isn't about what you achieve or what you accomplish, but rather who you are becoming. What kind of person you are becoming in spite of the circumstances that you are facing, in spite of the things that you have done, in spite of the things that have been done to you. What is happening in you? Where are your allegiances? What are the the things that have taken root in your life, in your heart? Are they worthy of having space in your emotions of dominating your reactions and your responses to the world around you. And if not, perhaps Jesus has invited us into a new way to live. It begins with your willingness to yield to his rule, to his authority in your life in every single thing. It begins with the places where he's given you authority, starting in your mind, starting with your eyes, starting with your ears, with your hands, with your feet, and then spreading out sort of concentrically from that space. Are you willing to yield to him, like really yield to him? Because I think that's what it's going to take. If we're going to really learn to understand what it means to walk with God, what it means to be a church, it's not going to be about how big our buildings are, how many people come, or how cool our programs are. It's going to be whether or not we become a people that more fully reflect who he is and what he wants for us, that we begin to participate with him towards this promise of fulfillment that he is intended. I think of this as sort of a vision of shared perfection, of shared perfection of us, of we, learning what it is like to live as his people. God is not trying to solve cultural problems. He's putting together a people through whom he intends to redeem the world. And this is the work that's in front of us, and this is the work that we get to participate in. And it's honestly, it is a radically different way of thinking than the way most of us have thought. I want to just begin and read this uh, sort of over us. And this is a passage that I've long sort of looked at for my own sense of call and what I feel like I'm supposed to be doing and contributing. And I think it gives us a vision for what God, I believe, wants to do. And it's in, found in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, right in his little church. And he says, hey, this is what I think is happening. This is what God has done. Verse 11 of chapter 4. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. He, he assembled or he ordered relationships and he ordered ways in which we relate and operate within uh, the context of our relationships to one another. And he said he organized in this way in order to build up or to equip his people for the works of service, for us to arrange our lives for the sake of offering ourselves to what God wants to do so that the body of Christ, his body may be built up until we all reach the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. When it comes to things, sort of wrapping this series up on perfectionism, it is much easier. It is much easier when it says, until we all attain the unity of the knowledge of the Son of God, the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. It is much easier to find unity with people that you already agree with. It is much easier to find unity with people that you already like. It is much easier to find these echo chambers. And that's what our culture is made up of. But to be willing to extend ourselves for other people, to really do and pursue what I think God wants may be the most powerful thing that our world could see. And it happens when you and I sort of start to give up things. This is what I mean by perfect uh, shared perfection. 
In fact, I was sitting down in my journal and I wrote down the question. I said, what is the vision for shared perfection? I was just trying to think about this. And the first thing that I wrote down is this seems interesting. Somehow shared perception seems like a threat. Somehow other people's successes feels like a threat to my own. Do you ever feel that way? Like, I don't know when you outgrow this or where, how, how you outgrow it, but there are parts and I'm like, where does this come from? Where does this happen? And so for us, we've got to really start to dig deep and understand like, what are these things we are demanding from other people? What are these things we are demanding of ourselves and how do we break some of these patterns? For the last four weeks, or counting today, the last three weeks, we have talked about this idea of perfection, perfectionism and the burden that it causes for many of you to live under. I've heard a lot of your stories. And we've been defining perfection this way. The burden that a perfectionist lived under is this burden. We defined perfection this way. If you've not uh, been here for the first three messages, those will be available um, online. But this is the definition we've been using for how our world defines perfection or the, the definition of perfection that we end up buying into. That perfection is this impossible demand that we place upon ourselves in our relentless effort to achieve what we perceive as approval. And, and it's, it's relentless. And it's based on what you perceive is enough. You, people can tell, I know perfectionists who have done things perfectly and it's still not enough. They still chase and chase and chase. It still didn't satisfy, it still didn't do this. And so what we've learned over the last few weeks is a few things I wanna highlight this. Number one is we've learned that perfection is, uh, perfection is about perception. It's not rooted in reality. Some of you, you have done things really well and you've never given yourself credit for anything that you've ever done. Some of you have actually been faithful, but you keep beating yourself up because you just don't think it's enough for God or it's not enough compared to someone else that you know or, someone, or your perception of what you know about someone else. This perception is about, uh, perfection in this definition is about perception. It's, it's foundation is distrust. You're always looking and shaping trying to figure out where you stack up. And what it does is it robs you of your capacity to enjoy and it causes your real purpose, what you are here to do, to keep being put off because you think that when you finally get this part, then those things will happen. When we talked about this in the very, I think the week two, we talked about this idea that when you sort of fall into this perception or this, this perception of perfection, when you sort of live under this burden, you are driven out of your mind, like it doesn't stop. The ambition, the drive, the whatever it is that's in front of you, you just feel like you have to be the best and you're not gonna be satisfied until you feel like you've done everything you possibly can do. And I wanna be really careful for some of you who haven't been here, what I'm not suggesting is that you should just be okay with mediocre or you should just be okay with things being poor or that this is some kind of uh, way to say, to excuse poor performance or messy houses. I'm not saying any of that at all. What I am saying is that the opposite of this idea of perfectionism is not, uh, uh, is not sort of a, a lax or a carelessness about things. But what you're actually robbing yourself of is this fullness that you've been intended for that, that, that has been made available to you. And so we often end up just driven out of our minds. Or perhaps when we can't kind of do things the way we want to, we just avoid them at all cost. And what this does is it does a couple of things. Number one, when you are sort of chronically driven, you end up 
with a lifestyle of comparison. You compare yourself to everyone and everything else. You're always competing with what's happening around you. So this is sort of what happens to you. People become uh, sort of obstacles, or they become the standards, and you find people that are better than you, you find people that are worse than you. It's just this crazy, and it affects how you relate to people. And over here, what happens is you just become indifferent. You don't actually celebrate with people. Um, you're subtly jealous of them, but you just pretend or it's just easier to say, well, good for them. You just sort of get it growing different in your heart to the plight of other people. And we're going to look at today in Galatians chapter 6 is this sandwich. This sandwich that I think starts to outline or help us understand what shared, a foundation perhaps for shared perfection. But the other thing that's interesting about this is what sits in the middle of all this is me. Everything is about, this is my point with, with perfectionism. Everything is about how I measure up, how I feel about what is happening around me, how I feel about what other people feel, how I feel about what I've done. It's all about my own perception of what I think is enough. Now, some of you, you're perfectionists. You're like, yep, that's right. And now you feel bad about it. And you've just resolved you're going to work harder on not being this way. That's, that's the curse. That is the curse. That's the problem. You're not going to promise your way out of this. You're not going to figure it out and then execute it more perfectly. In fact, I talked to someone a couple weeks ago. Uh, we were talking about this because part of what, we, we, what this involves is this idea of vulnerability. And I'd quoted Brene Brown, and she's written, done a lot of research on vulnerability. And he says, I'm a perfectionist, and I'm trying to figure out how to do vulnerability really, really well. <laughs> Time out. Time out. I want to learn vulnerability. I want to get really good at vulnerability. And then I'm going to execute vulnerability with perfection. This is not how this whole thing works. So that's what we're talking about. Um, perfection is perception. The second thing we learn is that weakness is about dependence. The reason, right, the, the thing that you've got to come to grips with, and this is where perfectionists struggle, is we are designed to be dependent. We are designed to be dependent. We grow up, we learn that we shouldn't need anyone else. We learn that we, if we were really good people, if we were really sort of responsible, then we wouldn't need or require anything from anyone, and that is a complete lie. We are born and designed and intended to be Dependent. In fact, I watch a lot of stuff on Animal Planet, and it's interesting, like giraffes come out uh, of the wound. They got like three minutes, and they better be walking, or you're getting eaten by something. Like humans, we're terrible, man. You're like hanging on for years. Like, don't walk in the street. Don't do this. You got car seats. Like, like we're, we're dependent at every turn. Like, we're just not that good at being independent. We think that we are, but we're really not. If a lion's chasing you, right, <laughs> you ain't getting away. You're dead. So, so we, 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 we know this. We come out, we, you know, the psychologists, they talk about this, this idea of attachment. We come out, we were born into this world, and our first response is to, to look for something that we can depend on. That's what we're looking for. Can I trust you? That's how we're wired. That's how we're born. That's how we're created. So we've got to start thinking of this, that our weaknesses are just a reminder. The fact that you can't do everything perfectly 
every time. The fact that you aren't independent and uh, the fact that you aren't self-sufficient means you're human and it means that you're a part. It's, a, it's about our dependence. This is where we begin to learn and discover the implications of grace. If you spend your whole life trying to cover up or conceal or compensate for your weaknesses to make sure no one sees them, what you are forsaking is grace. You're keeping yourself from needing anything from anybody else. You're keeping yourself from needing what it is that you are, in fact, you know, made for, what you need to be alive. Um, this is where I think we learn the restoration of trust, and we have to be willing to do this, and it starts in a moment. We talked about this, remember last week. This idea, this new beginning, this blank page starts with Jesu Juva, with Jesus' help. Jesus' help. That when Paul talks about boasting in our weakness, we learned this last week, this is not just about sharing or oversharing, but when we boast in our successes, the way most of us think about this, that boasting is typically about our efforts to prove our worth or to sort of give our resume, to make sure people know that we are as important as we think that we are, and you gotta know that about me, so here's what I'm gonna tell you about my accomplishments. But when we boast in our weaknesses, this is a way for us to share the fact that we are dependent on other people, that we need one another. Um, you know, we were talking about this with our, with our intern, interns, and I, I mean this as sincerely as I can. Um, the level of encouragement that these college students who were here every day brought to us was tangible. You could feel it. Like to recognize that we needed that infusion to do and to step into the things that we were going to ultimately be responsible for was huge. And God knew that. It was just a way for us to be aware and to recognize these things. When we share in our weakness, we're sharing sort of our need for one another. We're saying that all these things that hold us back don't have hold on us. They don't have authority over us. And it's an invitation for us not to be afraid. And we've talked about the fact that experience or perfection can actually be experienced. And we looked at this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. This is the perfectionist favorite verse. This is Jesus himself saying, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And the question we asked in the beginning was, what is it about God's perfection that he expects to be seen in you? What is it about God's perfection that he expects to be seen in you? And most of us, most all of us have grown up thinking that this is a moral command, that you should behave better. You should act in a, a moral, uh, sort of compatible way with the way God is. And whatever issues God is passionate about, you should be passionate about those issues as well. And we try to comply with what we think he expects from us. And this is not at all the way I think this should be read. In fact, I've been using this coupled with the next verse that begins chapter six. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others so that you may be seen by them. Be careful not to do this. Be careful not to do this. Or if you do, right, you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And we've talked about this idea of perfection that's been made available to us. And the way I translated this passage, my own paraphrase, is when we, it's, this is not a command for you to do something. It's an invitation for you to experience something. And the way I would write this down is to experience or to exist in fullness as your heavenly Father exists in fullness. What God is requiring of you is to bear the image that he already exists in, to trust what he's already done for you, to exist in fullness as your heavenly Father exists in fullness. 
That's what I think this verse is about. Or else what's going to happen is you're going to try to find this fullness in everybody else and what everybody else thinks of you. And more importantly, what you think of yourself because of what you think other people think about you. Does that make sense? That's what you're going to do. And if you do that, it says you'll have no reward. What he means is if you do that, you're going to forsake what has been made available to you to exist in fullness as your heavenly father exists in fullness. And we said this, that perfection is the fullness that is found in a moment. I've had so many conversations with people about this. It's fullness found in a moment. It's here and I experienced it and I felt it and it was real. And I trusted in his call and in his promise. That's where we're looking for this. It's not in a job well done. It's not when you finally finish that thing and then. This is what's crushing too many people today. So Galatians chapter six, we're gonna see another sandwich here. And so we'll just kind of make two pieces of bread up here. There's a piece of bread number one and there's a piece of bread number two. And so Galatians chapter six, starting in verse two, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And I'm gonna go ahead and read this all the way through and then we'll come back to it. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Does anybody know anyone who thinks they are something when they're not? You're like, yes, man, Jim needs to hear this. You should text him right now and tell him. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Everyone or each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone for each one should carry their own load. So we have this, this sandwich. We have this sandwich. Anybody notice what it was? Carry each other's burdens and then look at the end. Carry your own. So you have to sort of start to think about this. You gotta carry the, something for other people and then you sort of gotta carry or be responsible for your own. And so something happens in the space between these and that's what I want for us to look at. Go back to 6.2, it says to carry each other's burdens and do what? Fulfill this rule of law, it's a different system there's something else at stake. This isn't about an obligation. This is the rule of love in which he says, hey, if you want to fulfill the law of Christ, which is to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself, if you want to fulfill this law, you've got to enter in and shoulder a burden, help someone out. We all kind of get that. Some of you, this is your problem because you carry everybody's burdens all the time. And what you've done is you've created a bunch of codependent relationships that you are stuck in. And that is not helpful, nor is it healthy. When it comes to relationships, we're going to talk about this in the next series. We want to talk about health, not as something good or bad. Health. Is this healthy? Is this life-giving? Is it life exchange? These are the kind of relationships that have, the, the, the unhealthy ones have to be broken or else you are never going to experience. We will never become until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. It won't happen. So carry each other's burdens and you'll fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. If you think that you don't need other people or if you think that this is the game that you're playing or if you think, if you think anything, you're going to deceive yourselves. Perfectionism, right, draws 
uh, orbits around self-deception because what you think is that if you could finally get this thing right, then you would be right. And what you keep doing is you keep trying to work on yourself before you feel like you can do anything for other people. And this passage actually starts in the opposite way. The first thing it says is to carry each other's burdens and in thus you'll do so, you'll fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are nothing when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. So this isn't about you taking pride in what you've done. This is about perspective. This is about recognizing that the only thing that you have to do is what you have been asked to do. Does anyone struggle with, and I think every industry has their standard, this is what you're supposed to look like if you're successful. I don't think it matters what it is. Pastors have it, right? Like skinny jeans, cool, like what they, it's like, oh, that's what you're supposed to look like, you know, really cool glasses. That's what you're supposed to look like if you're a successful pastor. You know, if you're a real estate agent, if you're a lawyer, if you're an architect, if you're a stay-at-home mom, right? You gotta have like the blog and the, SUV and the, you, I mean, everybody has a standard of that's expected of you if you're successful in that thing. And what you do is you run around, and you sort of compare yourself for all these things, and you always feel like I'm not doing enough. That place does not exist. And here's what happens you keep thinking that when you are enough, when you finally get that done, then you'll be able to do something that matters. Then you'll be able to contribute something of worth. And all along the way, you're missing the exact thing that you have been called and created to do. What I think is interesting about this, it says a couple of things, a lot it actually says. But it says that you've got to test your own actions. You have to test your own actions. You are responsible for bringing the truth to bear on your own life. Me personally, I, I take it quite seriously when it says that the man who looks into the law of the Lord and does not do what it says is like a man who looks in the mirror, sees a giant zit on his face and does nothing about it, walks away thinking everything is fine. That's Mike's interpretation of James chapter two. I take it very seriously that when I open up and I start to read, I say, God, I not only wanna read what you were saying, I wanna let you read me. I want for you, I wanna get to the guts of who I am. The psalmist would write it like this in Psalm 51, God, you desire truth in my innermost being. Self-deception is rampant and we are pros at self-deception. I can't tell you, I wrote about this years ago, but I met this guy and he comes in, his life is not going well would be an understatement. And he just lists off all these things about his finances and his relationships and his this. And then he tells me about this Bible study that I ought to teach and do because it changed his life. It was about relationships and finances. And I'm like, hey, dude, one problem. It did not actually change your life. And I think I was the first person who told him that. Because everybody's just running out, slapping each other on the back. That changed my life, even though nothing actually changed. This is what I'm talking about. Like for you and I to really be able to say, we, he desires, you've got to test your own actions. You are responsible for your call, but you need other people involved in this. And so what I want to get to, I want to, I think you understand what I'm saying. So I'm going to, I want to try to push on this a little bit. Um, and I want to give you some questions to answer over the course 
of this week, the thing that I've learned, I think this reiterates it to each person should test their own actions. Then they can have a sense of self and free themselves from comparing themselves to other people. That's how I'd read this. Then you can sort of stand in your own space and refuse to compare yourself to other people. I'm not immune from this. Um, there are comparison traps that I fall into. There are things that I'm sensitive to. I have to test my own actions, my own motives. And what, I, what I've learned is that the one thing that God desires from you is the one thing that you can conceal from everyone else. And that is your motives, why you're doing something. No one knows if you're doing something to try to help someone or if you're doing it trying to make yourself feel better and compensate for something. No one knows that except you or people that you choose to disclose that to people that you choose to let into those wonky places of your head and your heart. And this is where I think the growth and the formation occurs. You know, I've sat down and, and, and I would encourage you to do this. This again is why I keep a journal. But I try to think about my call. I think about all of our college students who are trying to figure out their call. The beautiful thing about your call is you don't have to know it until you're about 60 years old. So I got about 10 more years to figure this out. That's good news, right? The reason is, because here's why this is important. Because some of you guys are gonna obsess about your purpose. You're gonna try to figure out what is my purpose and then you're gonna try to figure out by the time you're 25 and then you're gonna figure out your purpose at 25 and then you're gonna execute on it for the rest of your life. That's not how it works. And then when you're 26, the clock starts ticking and now you're nervous because you don't know your purpose. Every person I ask and I ask them what they wanna do for their, with their lives and they say, I don't know. I said, oh good, me neither. Because you gotta get all that pressure off because otherwise all you're doing is just driving all the perfectionistic tendencies that most people have. Again, if you struggle with laziness and not doing anything, this message is not for you. You know, you can just sit back. I got another message for you, right? So this is for all of us who are sort of driven and we feel like we're not doing enough. And so in that, you, 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 what, you, what I've learned I think that's exactly what this sandwich is about. It says, when you learn how to give yourself to others, and here's how I'd say it. This is the sentence I would use. You've got to be responsible for your own call. You have to take responsibility for what God has asked you to do, and then you sacrifice to help everyone else do the same. You've got to, you've got to take responsibility. And by that, I don't mean execute it perfectly. I don't even mean understand it fully. I mean take responsibility for it. No one else is responsible for what I'm called to do. And years ago, I sat down and worked on this for a pretty good long while to try to wrestle down what I felt like I was gifted in, what it was I felt were unhealthy tendencies that pulled me in different places, and then ultimately to sit down and try to get a statement, a calling statement. This is what I feel like God has called me to do, and I think you should do this every 10 years or so. I think you should revisit it. Um, you know, I, I, I avoided a midlife crisis a few years ago um, by doing this and sitting down and saying, God, do I have a fresh sense of call for what you're asking of me? Is it still, is, are there still parts? And there are parts that have evolved and parts that have been shaped differently and there are parts that are still the same. I have a lot of attention problems. A lot of you can probably, you probably know that it's not a secret. And um, my, so I like to chase a lot of things, like opportunities. I can like chase anything. If I see something fun and exciting, I'm like, oh, let's go do that. So you end up with a church that's going, choo, 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 choo. It's like, oh, Mike, you got to rein it in at some point in time. And one of my friends who knows me, he said, Mike, you're very opportunistic. You love an opportunity. And I do. I love an opportunity. But he said, you're not very strategic. You're not very strategic. 
You're just pinballing from whatever shiny object catches your attention, and we're all trying to follow you and figure out which direction we're going. You're very opportunistic. You're not very strategic. So I just sit down and kind of wrestle out, God, how do I take responsibility for what you've entrusted me to do? It's a pretty long process, and my statement is this, that I uh, feel like God has called me to be a trusted voice of influence. And that begins to narrow and to prioritize where I devote my time and energy. There are so many things that I hear so many people do and they go, oh, I ought to do that. And oh, I ought to do that. And oh, if I were a better Christian or better pastor, I would do that. Oh, you know what I'm talking about? Right? You don't have to be a pastor. You can be, if I were a better this, then I'd be doing that. If I were a better this, then I'd be doing that. You go all wonky in your head. Instead of back and saying, God, what have you called me? to do. There are people in my life who know that statement about me. They know that. And just last week, I had a conversation with Richie Marshall. He's our executive pastor here. He's the reason that things work like they do. And he's one of my best friends, and he speaks very freely to me. And he came and says, hey, man, I know you've got this going on, but here's what your statement is. Does this line up, or what are the implications of this? I've had that happen in other places where I got chasing other shiny opportunities and one of my other friends said, hey, Mike, you know, we're here doing this and you seem like you're over here doing this. Could it be that you need to be here? And they are able to speak into your life. What this is, it's about taking responsibility for your call and then sacrificing to help other people do the same. To carry burdens of other people's is about the obstacles that keep them from being the way that they are. And sometimes those obstacles look different. But you gotta have people in your life that know this and that feel this and that see this and are able to speak to you about it. For some of you, the fact that you're so sensitive about your perfectionism, you keep anybody from ever saying anything to you that you actually need to hear. Do you have people around you that will tell you the truth or do they always test your temperature to see how mad you're gonna get or how sensitive you are without they say anything? I use phrases like this in my own relationships. I say, how careful do you need me to be with you? Because what I mean is, and, I, and it's not to be mean, there are some people who you really need because they are, that's not a knock. But I've got to have people around me who aren't trying to figure out if Mike's in a good mood or if he's in a bad mood or he thinks his message is good or his message is not good before they come in and tell me what I need to hear. I can't risk that. This is how we are formed, how we grow. You've got to have people in your life. To share your weaknesses means that you let people know that there are places and postures where you struggle. I regularly tell people, and what's interesting about this, and the longer you lead an organization, when you tell someone about your own personal weakness, they are rarely surprised because everybody else has been talking about it for a very long time. All they're doing is going, oh, he knows. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. The growth, the change, the formation the cooperation, the opportunity to both be the recipient, right? See, when I, when I take responsibility for my call and I sacrifice to help other people do the, th do the same thing, you know what that means? That means I have to be willing to receive people's sacrifices to help me and mine. My life is the byproduct of a, receiving a lot of things from a lot of people. That's what we're supposed to be, right? Until we all get to this place, to carry one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of the Lord. Test yourself, pay attention to yourself, make sure. And then be responsible 
Take responsibility for what is in front of you, for what you've been entrusted with, but also receive the help for the obstacles. Then I think it just creates this loop, the sandwich. To struggle in the right direction isn't about trying harder. It's a struggle to reorient. You don't promise yourself you'll do better. It's always relational. What you are trying to do when you help someone else walk with God is you are reorienting them into the direction of God. You're not trying to correct their behavior. A lot of, we're going to, we're going to talk about this in a couple weeks, but a lot of people have these accountability relationships and you basically have a checklist of all the things that you've done wrong or do wrong. These are all my bad qualities. And you just ask each other about them. And if you didn't do it that week, you get a check. And if you did do it that week, you get an X. And your resolve is to try harder. In this kind of relationship, what you were doing is you were just trying to reorder and reorient people into the way of Jesus. Is he having authority in your life in this particular thought pattern? Is he having authority in your life in the way you consider this? You're reordering, you're, you're struggling in the right direction. It means you're returning to the way of Jesus in each uh, moment that you have available. To help one another is a part of your calling as a follower of Jesus. It's not something that you get to do once you figure out what you're supposed to do. It's all on the way. I think it's one of the biggest myths we've been bought into is that somehow you can find your purpose and then you'll be able to execute it. And what I would tell you is when you learn to give your life away, you will surely find your purpose. You give yourself away first, I will guarantee you, you'll find your purpose. Some of you are obsessed trying to figure out the exact right thing, the exact right statement. Even me telling you my statement makes you like, I'm gonna double down on it. Give your life away and your purpose will follow. Guarantee. We live out the way we are called. We live this out by taking responsibility for what God has called us to do, what's in front of us now, and we sacrifice to help other people do the same. So here are the three questions, and then we can go eat lunch. Question number one, what is the weakness? And we've looked at this over the last couple weeks. What is the weakness, the struggle, the thorn that keeps weighing you down? What is the thing that if you think you can just get it right, then you'll be able to X, Y, Z, whatever that thing is? What struggle is weighing you down? And I mean, write it down. I just talked to someone today and we just kept mining and mining and mining. What, what, what are, where's this coming from? Question number two, what is causing the struggle to carry so much weight? Why is it the approval of a boss? Why is it the approval of a spouse? Why is it more of this? Why is it an obsession with that? What is, what, what, what's giving that so much weight in your life? If you trace that down, you'll usually find something where you're, you've given disproportionate value to something. And then number three, who can you trust enough to share that struggle with? Who do you trust enough to share that struggle with? Now, little caveat, your spouse already knows. So you might wanna choose someone else. Not that that's not important, but you need someone to, to, to wrestle these things out with. You need community. You need a place where you don't struggle alone. What a lot of perfectionists end up doing is they feel so bad about those things, they isolate themselves and try to get it fixed and then they'll re-engage. 
and you will never actually be formed without engaging first. A lot of you end up thinking that, oh my gosh, if you know, the, the most dangerous thing would be that if someone found out when perhaps the most dangerous thing might be that no one ever finds out and you struggle alone for your entire life. Trauma and hurt and shame are magnified and intensified in isolation. To carry one another's burdens means you have to trust another person enough to do that. So I want you to spend some time over the next a couple of weeks or the next couple of days answering those questions. We'll just have some guides and some journal prompts um, on our website and social media um, that I think will help, you, help guide you through um, and some teaching as well that will guide you through these three questions and then prepare you for where we're going next. Uh, next week's uh, series, we're starting a new series. And if you remember the Together series we did back in January, this one's kind of like the Together series with some teeth. So this should be a lot of fun talking about relationships. Um, so I think if you answer these three questions and you start answering them, I think you'll be well prepared for what is to come. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for your faithfulness um, to form us into the image. And may we embrace fully that you are calling a people and we need one another. God, give us the strength to carry one another's burdens and give us the courage to take responsibility for our own. Give us the strength to receive the help of other people and give us the strength right, to shoulder up um, with other people. All these things, Father, we need as you continue to build us into the kind of people who more fully bear your image. I thank you and ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, who is our king. Amen.